Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Hey, this is Sean. This is Jerry. And this is episode... 29. ...of the Great Expectations Podcast. And we are here today. If there was a rip in space and time, and James Eric Pavel was cooler, he would be Ultimate Mike Mullins. And we're here... <laughs> with the as a break, months. As a break from our norm, with my personal dealer, no, not drugs, ladies and gentlemen, comic books, Mike Mullins from Back to the Past in beautiful Redford, Michigan, to discuss Ultimate X-Men. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Thank you. Thank you. I, I honestly half expected to walk into this basement with you guys and be on, like, to catch a predator because we're talking about Ultimate X-Men. Yeah. Like, you guys are just going to out me for something awful. Yeah, well, you're outing yourself. You read Ultimate X-Men. Hey, you did for this podcast, man. I did. You, you own right. most of them. I do. I, I stand with you, Mullins. I'm a fan. Good. I, well, I was a fan. And Sean, Sean, the thing that kills me about Sean is he once said to me, I really like alternate universe X Men stories. Like that's really cool. And I'm like true. Ultimate X Men. <laughs> no, that doesn't count. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, again, Ultimate X Men is one of those things that fell into that. Grant, it came out at the same time that New X Men. So everywhere I turned, there was no X Men that I could love, except for Extreme X Men. Wow, uh, this is weird. Yep. I, I I hear that uh, that isn't. There's not much to love from. I don't care. It's written by Chris Cremont. You guys can go fuck yourselves. It was. Hey, well, I never read it. I'm not. Ju- I'm not making an opinion. I'm just saying I've heard that. By the time I found my way to that, it was probably 30 issues in, and I had no idea what was going on. I had been away from comics for 15 years, so I, what the I hell? couldn't. It was a 15 year drought. I think so. This is during your finding yourself phase. This was. Uh, Discovering ladies face. Oh. Ah. You know. Yeah. Of the real variety. Of the real variety. I was moving away from women of the fake variety. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Have you ever, like, met a chick? You've been out, like, at the bar or something back, and you, when you had your Morrissey? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wonder what she would look like as a comic. Pompadour. Uh, so, you're out at the bar. You're, yeah, yeah. you're 20 year old McDade. Okay. Uh huh. You're a 21-year-old McDade. Yeah, right, yes. Right, right, legal drinking age McDade. You're out at the bar. Well, 20, I was in Scotland. It was legal there. All right, you're at, all right, even better. Yeah. Ooh. That's your band thing. I was in Scotland, fuckers. Yeah. I'm worldly. You mentioned it. It's true. So you're in some Scottish bar, right? Uh Uh-huh. And you see some lass come walking in. Are you like, that chick looks great, or are you like, that chick kind of looks like Rain Sinclair. I'm going to go for it. Uh, no, the first one. First one. Yeah? Yeah. Alright. You never, like, specifically went after a particular chick because she might have looked like an X-Men character? No. And I've also never had a chick dress up as a comic book character and then turn them away because they were Wonder Woman. I got fucking standards! Hey, Hey, listen, as great as it would be to have someone surprise dress up as Wonder Woman, you have to applaud the man for standing his ground. He likes what he likes. Fair enough. Jean Grey or get the fuck out. So, yeah, let's get back to business here. Mullins. Yes. We brought you here so that you could do all the talking. So That's far, so good. That's not going to happen. Um, 
when we bring guests on the show, we usually like to start with what made them a comic book fan. We assume you are a comic book fan. I am. There's two stories to this. One. The one you tell your in-laws. The one I tell my in-laws and then the one I tell everybody else. Right. Um, no, it first started, uh, there was a guy across the street from me that would buy comics and he would give me all of his shit, which at the time I'm like, oh, free comics. I didn't realize they were his rejects, which most of them ended up being Marvel's 2099 line. Uh, so that's how I got into Spider-Man 2099. Um, but the one comic that really grabbed me by the balls was Warlock Chronicles number five, which I've told Sean about. Yes. I got it in one of those grocery store value packs of the stuff they overprinted. Yeah. And they jammed like ten comics in there for three bucks. So I got one of those and that's what got me into it. But then there was a whole long hiatus. And uh I was with How a girl. old were you at that point? Oh uh, I don't know. How old would I have been in like ninety three? Hundred and seventy four. Nine? Nine years old? Okay. Um, Sounds right. Sure. But then I was dating a girl. We were moving her to college. Wait a second. When you were nine? No, 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 no. This is is (laughs) damn. Fast fast forward. Fast forward. (laughs) Fast forward. uh, So we were moving her to college. It was me, her, her mother, and her little brother. And her little brother had a pile, two big piles of comics in the back seat where I was riding. Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men. So I went, oh, this is a long trip. I might as well read these funny books that these kids are reading nowadays. And the next day I went to the comic shop and bought as many trades as I could because I got hooked. And they were, like I said, Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men. And the rest, as they say, is history. Yes. Now you slave away at Back to the Past. Dealing with insane people like me. I think the grind really comes in when Dennis shows up to work. The customers I can deal with, Dennis, he's a whole nother beast. Folks, you've got to know him to appreciate him. It's true. So, we already have the answer to the next question, which is what brings you to the X-Men, and clearly it was the ultimate X-Men. Right. Um, Trying to ingratiate himself with the ex-girlfriend's younger brother. Right. So, completely insincere X-Fan here, folks. No, see, the thing about Ultimate X-Men is I'm I'm one of the people that their idea for the Ultimate Universe worked on, because as I know Sean, this grades on him, I can't just jump into a series that has hundreds of issues of backstory, because I always feel like I'm going to be missing out on something. Mm-hmm. So I have to start from the beginning. And Ultimate X-Men, at that point, I only had to catch up on 33 issues, I believe. Mm-hmm. So... That was that was pretty easy to do. So that's why I like the X-Men. As much as I want to read 616 X-Men. Listen, man, it was, it was pretty easy to get 300 issues, too. You just got to really want it. You got to want it. But, got to say, if you read Dark Phoenix Saga and you didn't like it, there's probably not much there for you. It's not that I didn't like it. No, we're going to clear this up. We're going to clear this up right now. Because you two both reached out on me for this. I read... Dark Phoenix Saga Cold. I had no runway to it. And I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was bad, but I thought it was okay. I didn't have a relationship with the characters that you guys had. I said, if I would have had any kind of history to that, any kind of runway to get to that point, it would have been an awesome story. I can totally see why you guys think it's the bee's knees, so to speak. But going in cold, I was like, eh, that was okay. Hmm. Just... 
I guess I'll, I'll never know because I can't read it that way. Right, and I don't want you to. I would never want you to have to experience that. You would rather that I cry like a baby whenever Cyclops quits the team and Kitty joins the team. I want it to be a drinking game in the show from now on when people listen. Do a shot every time you hear Jerry get misty. It's my favorite part <laughs> of any episode. No, of every episode. Not every episode. <laughs> but I get, when, when it happens, it's like I'm on the other end over here, like super, like laughing just, his ass no! off at me. I go home and I tell Ashley, I'm like, today, like I wish that I could get that fucking worked at. You feel it. Sometimes I feel it. It's that awesome. Is, that is true. Sean has that rough and tumble exterior, but he really appreciates when people hardcore nerd out on something. Something that I like. Right. Yeah. Right. You the rest hardcore of it. nerd out about stuff I don't care about. I'm just like, no! Right. If, yeah. if Dennis was talking about model kits or barely legal girls, then, <laughs> then Sean wouldn't care, but since you're talking about X-Men. Right. So let's talk about some X-Men, hey? Hey, let's Here's your segue. We asked you, Mike Mullins, to select your very favorite X-Men tale. And you went and you thought about it for about 1.8 seconds. And you said, Jerry, Sean, I want to talk about... The Most Dangerous Game, issues 54 through 57 of Ultimate X-Men. Which is the beginning of Stuart Eminem's run with Brian K. Vaughn. Two luminaries in the field of comic book creation. Sure. I have been asked many a time, uh, if my house was on fire, what would I grab? And I always say the Brian K. Vaughn stretch of Ultimate X-Men. But you can find them in the dollar bins. But that wouldn't be my copies. Yeah, okay. It's like Scrooge's number one dime. Right. Right. What would be the thing that you'd grab, Jerry? Uh, ooh. If I had to grab one thing? My, my kids, my kids, my kids. <laughs> uh, you said thing. My All children right, are not things. Well, I don't know. Whatever you call them. Alright, one of your things. Damn, I don't know. So your I'm, wife busts down the door Hulk style, carries the kids out. I can't, if I can't bring it all, I'm going down with the ship, man. That's it. It's over. Yeah? It's over for Jerry. If I lose one thing, it's all over. I worry about a house fire all the fucking time. Because I just know, I mean, like, come on. The comic book room is a goddamn tinderbox. Like, if it starts there, I'm dead. No, I can save it. I have a feeling I know what you would say. What would you grab? (laughs) Shit, well, probably the Stan Lee sign X-Men 16, because there's going to come a point where I'm not going to be able to replace that. I don't fucking know, though. Probably, I'd probably grab the... You guys are going to make me go home and put together like a fucking box. <laughs> I don't know, man. I might be in the Jerry camp. I might just be like, fuck it, take me with you. Uh, this is too much of a cop-out, so I'm just going to say I'd grab my jam pieces. That, I mean, that's pretty easy. I'd Viking funeral it, and I'd just sit down and just be like, <laughs> you would You wouldn't hear a single scream. He would be like that monk. He would just, yeah. he would just take it. I'd just be trying to read as fucking fast as I could. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the most dangerous game, gentlemen. Let's discuss. It's got the most dangerous game. In it. Of course. Iceman's hat. <laughs> yeah. It's not one of the best things about Ultimate X-Men. I didn't even notice anymore. Is it a hat at this point? Or no, is it it's still a, a do-rag? It's a ridiculously long bandana. 
I hate Bobby Drake in the Ultimate Universe. I hate that Bendis makes all new X-Men, Bobby Drake, young Bobby Drake, Ultimate Drake. Bobby Drake in the Ultimate X-Men was, he had his moments where he was cool, but for the most part he was just kind of a douche. He's douchey. He's douchey. And all the good chicks want him. I don't get it. That's because chicks are attracted to assholes. But he's younger than everyone. He's younger than everyone. They should be, I mean, Katie Pride has Peter Parker, right? At this right. point, let's just mention, Katie Pride is uh, living out Bendis' fantasy, <laughs> dating Peter Parker over in the Spider-Man book. That might be a little bit of my problem with the Ultimate X-Men is not like, like, I mean, I like, I mean, the the first couple of, like, I mean, I love the Ultimates. Like, the Ultimates is my yeah. go-to story for the Avengers. Ultimates yeah. 1 and 2. But yeah, I, three, yeah. 3 does not exist. But I think my problem, even when I was, like, reading this, is, like, I really liked the story, and I especially liked that you chose this, because one of my favorite 616 characters is in it. But one of the things that I noticed when I was rereading it today was, like, this time period, like, ushered in the let's throw pop culture references, and, she, like, and I get that that was, like, the thing, we're gonna make it new, and, and, and that's somehow gonna connect with a younger audience instead uh-huh. of the fucking old dying guys that we've got me reading books right now, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that shit just never works. Like, the other day, she's all obsessed with that Criminal Mind show. Mm-hmm. And so she's got me watching it from the beginning. And we were watching this episode, and, like, two of the FBI agents are talking, and they make some joke. And then the other one's like, oh, I like that so much, I'm going to put you in my top eight. And, like, I started fucking laughing. <laughs> and Ashley was like, what? I paused it, and I was like, did you not hear that horrible fucking dated line of dialogue and she right. was like what and I went back and played it and I was like top and she's like what the fuck is the top eight and I was like remember my space and she was like holy shit it's kind mm-hmm. of one of those things where it's like it's great to like do the we're connecting to the audience thing yeah. but at the same time like it dates the shit out of your yeah, material fucking the the myspace thing in civil war that everybody always goes to like captain america having a fucking myspace page like just knock that shit and that's my i love bendis but that's my biggest problem with bendis is like all the jokes are all like of the time and it's just like dude a year from now that ain't gonna fucking fly. Like, that's mm-hmm. not gonna be cool. Right, like, you can't, you, you can't give that to your nephews or whatever and be like, hey, read this without them going, what? Explain it's this to me. It's the equivalent of watching, like, a Chuck Lore show. Like, The Big Bang Theory or the fucking, no, I'm sorry, he doesn't do that. It's a fucking Two Broke Girls show. Ashley likes that show. And I caught it, and it's, it's like one reference that's like a week old. Every episode, like, that's the joke, is, like, something that's, like, a week, uh, I don't know, mm-hmm. going on a tangent that doesn't have to do with the X-Men, but it was one of the things that I noticed in the dialogue was, like... Yeah. Well, the, I've, comics have done that for a long time. We, we True. can't technically pick on just this for that, but you're right. I think it's I mean, because I'm it, living it, through it this stuff now where it feels a little more like I'm getting beat over the head with, like, yeah. a and Kardashian it, joke. It definitely makes the books more disposable that way like that yeah they're not written to be written for all time they're written for now yeah to sell books now and hook kids now which i is the point i mean no i know but, but like i when we were doing the paul smith stuff in the last episode like i seriously when i was reading those issues like i felt like this is timeless like i yeah. could hand this to someone and they'd get as much of enjoyment out of 
And I don't know. I mean, somebody probably fucking loves these. I'm being... I'm Mullins loves these. Yeah. <laughs> I love the outfits, I don't love all the references. Give me a hug. Oh, come here, buddy. Aww. Aww, all you right. guys. I'll just sit over here. <sighs> Double high five, Jerry. High five! So, this whole most dangerous game thing, this has been played out a million times uh-huh. in literature and movies and TV, um, ever since the original story entitled The Most Dangerous Game that was published back in the 20s or 30s or whatever it was. I looked it up. Yeah, that's right. I wanted to be right. <laughs> Fucker knew this off the top of his head. He's like, no, oh, no, I'm going to work no, this in there. no. I wanted to be sure, but I, like I mean, simpletons. there there was a reference to um, the Japanese film uh, Battle Royale. Battle Royale. They and, also, and if um, it had been published a few years later, there'd probably be a Hunger Games reference in there. I believe Dazzler also makes reference to uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic Running Man. Running Man, which is a classic. It is. I thoroughly not enjoy tongue that in movie. cheek. It I, is a classic. I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Love that movie. His best one-liners are in that movie. He's making a sequel. They announced it today. Or he's trying <gasps> to. Yeah. Those rumors. Oh, Look no. it up. Hell yeah. Uh, if that Wait, happens. Richard Dawson's gone. Man, though, he slices and dices. What? <laughs> if that happens, we all have to go to the theater and see that open uh, weekend. Oh, well, he killed Richard Dawson at the end. It doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. Look at this guy. Bring it. Richard Dawson, super right. fan. I spent a lot of summers watching Family Feud. We didn't have cable and all that bullshit internet that you kids have these days. I think I had the internet. We had three channels. That's it. Same here, man. Like, people, my generation is the generation that was raised on Nickelodeon. And every time someone makes a Nickelodeon reference, I'm like, over my head, guys. Didn't have cable. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. That's Southeast Michigan for you. No silver spoons here. Although I did love Silver Spoons for all you over 40 fans. I actually did catch a couple of those episodes in syndication. And Who it was... the fuck didn't want to have a big train that you could ride around your house? Right. I wanted to run a train on Aaron Gray. If... <laughs> Is that... Is... Who's, who's Aaron Gray? I don't know. I gotta look her up. Her? Him? Yes, her. <laughs> Jesus. Right, like E-R-I-N? Yes. Yeah. Dude, she was, uh, what's her, uh, Wilma in Buck Rogers, which you probably also don't know. No, man. But she was the hottie girlfriend stepmother, future stepmother in. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see Silver it. Spoons. I, I can see it. She you... was the reason to watch Dude, Silver Spoons. I need you to give me a list of chicks you wouldn't fuck. I cannot produce such a list. <laughs> the, to do it. Here's what you do. When you're a right. two, nothing is below you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what you should have done is to save face with the old lady, anyone that isn't my wife. Like, she doesn't listen to this show. Oh, well then do it. She's so proud of it. Then, then just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> she pats you on the head and says, good for you and Sean. Yeah. I'm gonna go out. I think secretly she doesn't like me. It's not secret. Really? I don't know. Could, I no, try not to ask because I don't want to know. I, Cause I feel like it's one of those things where like she's alright with me. But then there's other moments where I'm like, oh, I know. I know that I leave. And he's like, it was good. But it'd be better if Sean had put in an effort. That mother... Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I guarantee you, I walk out X-Men. the door. And it's like, fuck that guy. And she's like, yeah. 
Because you know, over dinner, she's fucking slaving away, trying to put the kids to bed. He's bitching about me, so I've become the painter for existence. If I wind up dead, it's his wife. All the next then. <laughs> so, uh, the status quo at this point, um, for those who aren't familiar with the Ultimate Universe for some reason, they decided to provide young readers with a fresh start to the Marvel Universe to run concurrently with the 616 Universe. Yes. So they started fresh. They started with Spider-Man. Yep. And then the were the Ultimates next, or was Ultimate X-Men? Next? I think it was Ultimate X-Men. Yep. And they did that. The X-Men Ulti- movie had just come out, so the X-Men was yeah. like the hot priority. Yeah, I'm not going to get this right, but it was Ultimate Spider-Man was definitely first. Then it was Ultimate X-Men. There was an Ultimate Team-Up book. There was, I think, Marvel Team-Up came. Before the Ultimates, Pavel right now is raging. Right, He's to I think this. Ultimate Marvel Team Up came before the Ultimates. I know it predated everything else because they they didn't think it was going to stick at this point, uh-huh. so they just started doing characters like they had pretty much six one six Fantastic Four and the Ultimate Marvel Team Ups before they realized, hey, we can do an Ultimate Fantastic Four book. So, you ready for your world to be rocked? Sean Sean's going to hate this. I, I, when I started reading oh. Ultimate X Men. I was drawn to Ultimate X-Men because Mark Miller was writing it. And I was drawn to that because I had just read his run on The Authority. Not because of anything he'd done at Marvel. I was like, that's the guy that writes The Authority. I'm going to go read that book. Were you at The Authority on the ground floor like you were with Iron Fist, you lying sack of red-headed shit? Nah, no. <laughs> Our good friend Austin introduced me to it. Yeah. I still don't believe the Iron Fist thing. Mullins, he was shopping at the store. Was Jerry on the ground floor for Iron Fist? I have no idea. I can't remember that. If I worked at the comic book store, I'd know that type of spreadsheet, I can tell you what. Oh, no, it's fine. I believe you. I just might have bought it at archives. What? Maybe. Boo. Hey, we were friendly with archives. Okay. They sent me to you guys. Yeah, we would send we would send people back and forth to each other if one of us was out and the other one had it. That's how comic book stores should operate. How do we how do we lay the groundwork for the first fifty issues? Uh, well, you don't point. really need to lay the groundwork for the first fifty issues. Um, this is what you need to know about the Ultimate Universe. Since we're they never coming back it. to it, they went into it thinking that they could fix a bunch of problems because it was way too continuity heavy. And within five years, they fucked it worse than anything that they had done previously. What is it, 60 issues before it takes a big fucking shit? No. Um, It was Ultimatum, right? Oh Yeah, that was like... Dude, it was Kirkman. When did Kirkman start? 70? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, about in the late 60s. But even then, it wasn't... His stuff wasn't awful. It wasn't good, but it wasn't awful. The the awful one was his last arc. Cables Wolverine. But I think, I think, apocalypse. I think it was um, editorial that screwed Kirkman really hard. Ain't that always the way? Welcome to my childhood. Hmm. Editorial. Unless Kirkman was stupid enough to think <laughs> that he could tell this whole story, make you buy that's a big thing, and then just hit a switch and be like, "Oh no, everything's back to normal." I think it was editorial saying. Get all the pieces back together for Loeb to fuck it up. Hmm. Loeb gets a pass from me all the time. But, really, in my book, it was Loeb that was the downfall. Of yeah. The yeah. Ultimate universe as a whole. You can you can give him the pass. I, I just not. I just you know it's one of those things where like I look at and even reading this like I actually really enjoyed these four issues and thought that it was the thing that I took away from it is 
it was a cool way. Like I like I'm a long shot fan and I'm a fan of like the the original and Nocenti Art Adams miniseries and we'll talk about that later on and and I like the fact that it was ahead of its time with the reality television aspect and kind of like reading it now it seems much smarter than I'm sure it actually was when it first came out yeah but when I was reading this I was like man they took everything that I loved about that and kind of streamlined it mm-hmm. so I really did like this a lot mm-hmm. and I like I mean I like anything that like gets long shot a bit of an update not the the, the mullet, mullet thing, you know? <laughs> and I like the ties to Genosha and the whole, you know, reality television thing, the running man thing of hunting criminals, you know? I mean, I mm-hmm. loved that movie as a kid. So this was totally right up my alley. But I think my thing that frustrates me with the Ultimate Universe is just that. It's like, it's a great idea, but it seemed like everyone other than Bendis was going, how can I make this weird? There were a lot of people that did that. Like, yeah. Ultimate X-Men as a whole, because it didn't have, like, Bendis with Ultimate Spider-Man, he was the guy. I mean, he's no one's written an issue other than him, so he knows where he wants to go. Ultimate X-Men, you had Bendis, you had Mark Millar. Well, Miller, uh, it was Miller all the way from the beginning. Yeah. that And that's that's why the Ultimate Universe was working, was you had Bendis and Miller, who were hungry and young and talented, and they constructed the entire universe when uh, Fantastic Four started. Miller wrote that. I mean, the two, it was just the two of them bouncing ideas off of each other and like just making an entire universe just from their vision, you know. And after a while, it just got too many people in the room. Right. And pfft, that was it. You lost what made that special. Because I did. I mean, that first. The first couple arcs, like the first one with Magneto and and then even the Weapon X program and all that stuff and how it tied yeah. in the movies, like I actually really liked that. And the Ultimate X Men was a bit Wolverine of a Wolverine as a villain? Yeah. That was an interesting mm-hmm. twist. You know, um Colossus and the Russian mob, like a yeah. lot of it was like really heartbreaking too, like seeing this really fucked up version of like how they all got there. Like it was cool, but it just it like lost me too quick because it lost like, there was room for heart and character growth, and it was swapped for, I'm going to show you guys my ultimate version of Pyro and Blob, and, you <laughs> right. know, like, all of a sudden, yeah. everybody just got, like, and that was the problem with the the Kirkman stuff, was just, like, it, it, the Ultimate X-Men felt to me like somebody had given me the chance to fucking write the book, and I would have, that's exactly, if someone was like, hey, Sean, you get to write X-Men, Holy shit, it would be 90s everywhere. Adam X would be leading the fucking team. <laughs> Before you guys know it, it'd be all over. I've got a bullet with your name I'd on it. I'd sink the ship. And I, <laughs> I went back, and it was funny because Brian K. Vaughn did that. I, uh, I went back to prep for this. I, I started reading from where he took over and then read up to this arc. And he references Corsair. Like, Corsair is a planet Cyclops made up when he was a kid and all this stuff instead of like being his dad. And he mentions space pirates. Like, he puts all these little references in there because I think, I don't know, I've never read real, an interview with the guy or anything, but I get the feeling that he's an X-Men fan. And he just wanted to put little nuggets in there for hmm. people like you guys where if you were reading it would be like, oh, cool, it's Corsair. And like the, your point, I don't want to step on it because I know you mentioned this to me, is you really like that. Longshot's first name was Art, and Mojo's last name was Adams. Yeah. Like, he puts a lot of little nods in there without jamming a bunch of characters in there to say, this is my ultimate version of the character, but he 
brings a lot of history. And wasn't um, Longshot's last name like what's the word I'm looking for? Where it's like it's just a jumbled version of Nocenti. I think it is. Oh, okay. is it? Yeah. God, I missed that because it's like it's like Centino or something. Yeah. It's like Art yeah. Centino. Yeah. Ah, dang it! Smarter than me again. So, like, I appreciate when when writers do that, where they nod to things past. So, really, to be totally honest, I don't actually hate the Ultimate X Men. I just like giving you shit. All right. Well, now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about what Mike likes about these books, because that's what we're here for—to talk about why you love these, why they're cool, and why anybody else would care about them. Bring the love. It was, it was just the simple fact of this was my first, I guess, um, experience with a big book. Like it felt like I was reading something big because it had the X Men title, but I wasn't reading Uncanny, so I didn't have the three, four hundred issues, however many were out at the time, plus Grant Morrison's new X Men. Sorry, Sean. Sorry. All that stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, I just got to see things about these characters, and I know that a lot of them were very similar to their 616 versions, and some of them were very different. But, like, I got to see character deaths and relationships and first appearances of bad guys and stuff like that, so it was my first experience with, like, continuity, I guess. Yeah. Even though it was ultimate continuity. Yeah, unfortunately, it's going to have to develop over time. Anytime you stick with the same characters, you're going to mm-hmm. end up with continuity. I uh, Reading this now, though, with the way that the main X-Men books are in the 616 universe, mm-hmm. there was stuff that, like, I felt... I've never read this, but never read this story before, but I came into the shop after you told me these were the issues that you wanted to talk about, and I read them early. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, like... Because there's some stuff in here where it's, like, them kind of in the war room, like, plotting to go to Genosha to track down Longshot. Mm-hmm. And there's just, like, little, like, character moments of even, like, Scott and Jean in Kitty's bedroom as she's, like, showing them the footage of the TV show. Because basically, you want to explain what the... Basically, um, Genosha outlawed mutants. And so they would send them to the island of Krakoa. Is that how you pronounce it? You yeah, there, there's another nod, Krakoa. Yeah. Which I thought was cool, too. Yeah, so they they sent them... Giant Size number one. ...to the island of Krakoa, uh, which, from what I understand, was kind of like a no-holds-barred-anything-goes kind of island martial law, and they turned it into a game show a la Running Man where they would send convicts there who happened to be mutants, and people would hunt them down on live TV. Uh, So that's the point of the arc, I guess, is Longshot is a criminal being hunted, and Mojo Adams is running the show. Yes. So the X-Men find out that this is happening and they're pissed. I mean, Colossus I... is super pissed about it, too. Because of his criminal background, yeah. obviously. Like, he's right. a little bit more... So, yeah, he wants to go and and sort this problem out, and Professor X is telling him no. Yeah. And this is... Colossus is kind of one of my favorite characters. And the ultimate Colossus is so different. You know, he, he's not the innocent little... Artist, yeah. he's like a hardened criminal who becomes. I, I loved Ultimate Colossus. He was, he was my favorite character in the Ultimate Universe. As much as I loved Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate Colossus, because there was so much going on with him, and he was so, he was very much wearing his heart on his sleeve. Yeah. And at first, Professor X is like, "All right, I want my normal-looking students to go to Genosha to figure this out, do fact-finding stuff." 
And Colossus is like, no, let's break some skulls. <laughs> and yeah. and he's like, eh, you're a little heated. Maybe you should stay here with the rest of the guys, Colossus. So he's super pissed about that. And they end up sending Gene, Cyclops, Bobby, and Kitty. Now, they're, they find out that Longshot is accused of murdering a government official. Yes. And w- was it their job to go figure out if he really did it was if that he, yeah if he really did it and just figure out because they they smell cover-up so he's sending these guys to figure out what exactly happened okay so then while they're doing that colossus and dazzler and angel against and, his will and pretty Nightcrawler. much and nightcrawler steal the the uh blackhawk or whatever they're called the expert x-wing. the x-wing yeah oh that's so on the nose <laughs> and, and they fly out to genosha to try to free long shot yeah, they, they, they go straight to Krakoa, um, in the jungle where they're, they think they're gonna find Longshot while the others are on the mainland of Genosha trying to do the whole diplomatic thing. So, uh, Scott and Jean, uh, run into Spiral, mm-hmm. and the story ends up being that Spiral and Longshot were a couple, and she started hooking up with this government official, and Longshot found out about it, murdered the dude in front of her and she turned him in basically right yeah yeah she knocked him out and turned him in and uh so he winds up on this island but he they were were both um mutant activists that were fighting against this oppressive government and so he felt like she had turned on him right yeah and because she was dating this this flat scan yeah and uh he wasn't very tolerant of humans no he was not but she, he, this dude, I guess, was kind of sympathetic to their cause. Yeah. Yeah. Either that or he had the jungle fever for muties. I think it was a little bit, it started out that way. Yeah. But he was sympathetic to the cause, and mm-hmm. she actually liked him, and, and uh, sp- long shot busted in. and. So they pull the old Christy reversal. Mac war machine on her. <laughs> so so they, they, they trick you early in the story into thinking that that Longshot's the good guy who's wrongly accused. Spiral is the bad guy who is the foil, like she traditionally is in right. the 616 universe. But it ends up being the opposite. Longshot's kind of a douche. but Which is great because, not being an X-Men fan, I know that Longshot's a good guy and Spiral is a bad guy. So going into this, I'm like, oh, this is cool. Spiral's a bad guy and Longshot's a good guy. And then when they did the, the flip, my mind was blown. I was like, oh, no, I did not see that coming. This was so much fun. And Imminent at this point is kind of halfway between, uh, his, uh, what is it? Next Wave? Next Wave, right. Like halfway between Next Wave and, and what he's doing on, um, All New X-Men, or what he was doing on All New X-Men. Yeah. But, um, but I mean more towards the, the realistic stuff. But, um, but he, it's still like a little bit more cartoony than what he does now, I think. Right. I loved this art but, because Ultimate X-Men was plagued with a revolving door of artists. Mm-hmm. Like it started with um Kubert or Kubert, however you want to pronounce it. I don't know. Adam? It was Adam. I think. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Hold on. Um, I got to admit, I like the fact that you said that Colossus is your favorite Ultimate character because he had my favorite moment in the four issues was when um him, Dazzler, Nightcrawler, and Angel have landed on Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Both. And then, uh, as they're leaving, like, and Angel's like, what happens if something bad happens to you guys? And Colossus is like, 
I don't know about these guys, but I'd like to be buried next to Hank. Right. Like, and it was so just like, shit might happen, man. Right. Well, that, like, that's when I kind of started turning on the Ultimate Universe was when Hank died. Which, which Bendis didn't killed stick. him. Bendis right. killed him. Yeah, he killed him in the arc before Vaughn took over. Um, well, he dropped a building on him or something, right? Or a column. Yeah, like there was an attack on the steps of some government building and all this rubble fell on him and crushed him. He had, he had left the X-Men for the to new go mutants. with Emma Frost. Hello, bitch! That's right. And, uh, he paid the price for that. You don't turn against the X-Men, I guess. Right. Bad but, things happen. Like the cool thing about Colossus is, well, he's still, he's super pissed at this point. And he, he wants to go in and take charge and Angel it's like, yeah, I think I'm just going to stay on the jet, guys. I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> He's got his and, his red Star Trek uniform on. Right. I'll just stay with the ship, right. okay? And, and Dazzler's like, oh, come on, you can't what's up now. And Colossus, even though he's super pissed and he wants to rally, he's like, hey, man, I'm not forcing anyone to go if they don't want to. He already got us here, so his job is done if he wants it to be. Like, it's like, cool. He's still being rational and compassionate towards his friends. Like, Colossus is the dude where you want him to be your friend because he is down with you no matter what. And it I can appreciate that. DTF. I like, at one point, uh, Colossus and, and Longshot connect over their boots. Because they have similar right. boots. Well, well, the thing, the thing <laughs> I about like your this, boots. the thing about this is from, I don't know if it was from the beginning, but pretty early on, there's a, a couple little panels and like phrases and stuff where you're like, makes Colossus seem kind of gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it just, Came off like very like, hey, what's what's up? Is um, that where this starts? You think? No, it doesn't start here. I thought it started a lot it started, earlier. It started way earlier. Yeah, but like it's going on and on. But it really gets heavy in this arc where they connect over the boots, and then Dazzler's trying to hook up with them, and he's just shutting her down like the Iron Curtain. And you know what? What's weird and and, and I feel a little embarrassed about is that I when we when I started reading this, I completely forgotten. That Dazzler and Longshot were a hot item. I don't know how, but it just all of a sudden, halfway through the story, clicked. Oh yeah, those two are like the the hot couple of the, the late '80s. How did I forget that? <laughs> so I think the the idea is probably that those two are the obvious pairing out of this story. Right. They're going to get together, but maybe not. I yeah. found one part of it a little tough to swallow. I think I know, and it's one of my, I think it's one of my favorite parts. Is it when Dazzler's talking to Nightcrawler about Colossus? No. Oh, this, the part I'm talking about is Dazzler is like, hey, Kurt, what's going on, man? Colossus is shutting me down. Do you think, (laughs) do you think he, you know what team he plays on? Oh, yeah. He's like, how dare you question Colossus's loyalty? She's like, no, I mean, like, his preferences, and Kurt gets kind of judgmental, and he goes, no, he's normal. He's totally normal. She goes, whoa. Whoa, back off there, buddy. Yeah. There's nothing not normal about that. And it just, that rang, that that struck a chord because yeah. in high school we were friends with people that, that that identified as Christian. But then, like, when we'd bring our gay friends around, they would be like, oh, I don't know about that. I'm like, what do you mean? That's your friend that you've known forever. Why are you all of a sudden weird about it? So it just kind of like, I I knew people that had the same mindset as Kurt, so it was like, reading something I could relate to. The one thing I like about Nightcrawler in the Ultimate Universe is that little light effect that like how light comes out of his mouth. Yeah. 
I've got an ultimate Nightcrawler toy, and you push a button on his back, and the mouth and eyes light up. Oh, that's See, awesome. that's cool, but pretty much everything else, I don't know. I mean, he comes from a pretty hard spot when that, I find him. I think him. that was one of the, because I like He's Nightcrawler so up, much in the 616 but... universe, that the, well, the him being part of Weapon X and being a little bit mm-hmm. darker was one of the things that, like, pushed me out of, you know. Yeah. I'm a big baby, I guess, when it comes to comic books. <laughs> I don't I want know. stuff my way. Yeah, I mean, they they took the two sweetest X Men, like yeah. the nicest X Men, and they kind of made gave them some of the hardest edge. Yeah. Nightcrawler didn't really seem to have much of a personality to me. No. Uh, his his big function is that he gets stabbed in the gut, and they have to right. haul him around. Bye. By Ultimate Arcade. Ultimate Arcade, yes. Which was my problem with the story. Ah. You hated it instantly because you hate arcade stories. No. But come on, they're going to revamp it, and he's got to be some cool gamer kid tracking down the guys, shooting them with guns. If I understand it, if I'm following the news correctly, Arcade would actually be hiding behind his computer and threatening to rape everyone? Is that is that, <laughs> is that correct? Is that that, that's Pretty much. probably what he was and doing you know until he had this I, opportunity. I agree okay. with you. Because, um, uh, arcade was part of Gamergate. I don't really see him actually doing anything. He's just gonna, he's when just they gonna talk about it. When they introduced arcade, that's the one thing about Brian Kivon's run that I was a little disappointed in because I love the look and idea of classic arcade and just kind of turning him into a generic bad guy kind of bummed me out because I, I would have thought that Vaughn could have done more with him. I now want Andy to dress every Halloween as arcade. <laughs> Well, I, I, I dig his origin story, kind of like his motivation is yeah. not just that he's a crazy guy with money enough to build these weird I, I mean, houses. Like too. So it. the idea is that his, his sister died yeah. in, in a attack by Magneto. Magneto. And it was, I forget what event that was. It was, it was in one of Magneto's early appearances, the attack on New York or something. Yeah, um, I don't really remember. Editors note that attack took place in the opening pages of Ultimate War by Mark Miller and Chris Pacello. So I don't know. I'm I'm gonna try not to get too worked up about a character who's so minor and unimportant to me. <laughs> like what what decisions Brian Vaughn made about what to do with him? Because I don't give a shit about arcade. It was. A, I mean, it was a good update. It was definitely interesting, and I mean, it took away the fucking flipping bow tie fucking chain thing of it and i get the update you know yeah but again that falls in line into being one of the characters where i'm like there you go like you busted out arcade for like that's what i mean it just always kind of felt like like it was a token appearance although i have to admit like you're right when you said that thing about me like in all the other ultimate reality stories but for some odd reason this one and it's gotta be, it's gotta be some shitty fucking territorial thing on my part. Like, it's gotta be right. like, this, you're not, you're not taking my thing from me with your newfangled hipness. <laughs> like, it was I, like I was getting, like I was a athlete who was slowly being shown the door. This is kind of an arcade style, yeah. um, thing though. I mean, yeah. trapping the X-Men and putting them through their paces on this island is, I mean, if somebody's gonna be there. Kind of should be arcade, maybe. I don't know. Right. He and Mojo are a match made in heaven. As far as comic crushes go, Jerry, does Spiral Six Arms scare you? I'm trying to get there. Um, I was going to say, man, as, as much as 
we might want to complain about the character design for for Arcade. Um, I've got no problem with what Eminem did with Spiral. I think she looks awesome. Here's listen. We're gonna get we're gonna go to a dark place with me right now. Cuffed boots and furry boots can get the fuck out. I don't I don't like them like those. They just look stupid. But I know, other than that, uh, having zero experience with Spiral and not knowing what to expect other than seeing, like, still images from, from 616 comics, I had no problems with what they did with Spiral, not knowing anything about her. So I couldn't be upset or... I always, I always like Spiral. Spiral. Yeah. Yeah. They, I just, I feel like they've never really maximized her potential. But, um, I got all excited when she showed up in Oh, X-Force? X-Force, yeah. yeah. That didn't really work out. Yeah. Poor Ricochet Rita. So, I have no idea what you're talking about. Spyro before she gets turned into Spyro, right? Or am I misremembering that miniseries? It's been a long time since I've read it. God, I don't even remember her words first, being the discussed. the first person that Longshot like, ever ran into, one of the few first people was this like chick who worked in movies. She was like a stunt woman. Her name was Ricochet Rita. Hmm. And I, if I remember correctly, she's Spiral. And she went into the body shop, like the same, this is, like Spiral's one of the reasons that Psylocke has the, you know, British mind and an Asian body. Okay. It's because of all that, and then Revanche and the plucking out her eyes. Mm-hmm. Near the end of this tale, Phoenix, we start seeing some Phoenix flare-up. Yeah. And was it Vaughn that started the... The road to Phoenix? No. That had been started earlier, too, That right? had been started earlier, yeah. Uh, but it just kind of came, like, they'd pop up, and there would be some flames in her eyes or something like that. But uh, Starting to see gremlins. Right. <laughs> Wait, the gremlins? I think the gremlins were Kirkman, though, weren't they? Because I think those came after Vaughn. But the gremlins thing was weird. It was real weird. In issue 56, the last page is also a nod to the Pulse Smith stuff that we talked about last episode. It is. And it's, and it's also of... a nod to Mutant Massacre. Yep. Um, two of my favorite things, X-related of all time. And for some reason, they both end up with Warren pinned to a wall by knives. Yeah, Vaughn has to be an X-Men fan. I'm sure he there's, is. There's so many nods and references in there. I think that's the thing. It was like the Ultimate X-Men book is like an X-Men fan's wet dream if you want to get every reference in 70 issues. Yeah. Like that's, they jumped the gun way too early on the Phoenix. Because I think it was like issue 25 that that thing started popping up with the Hellfire Club. Yeah. You know, it's just, it all happened too. Because it's like everybody gets excited. I mean, I Mm -hmm. get it, but I think that's like, you know how you always hear about Burn grousing? About, like, you know, back then they weren't really, which is total bullshit because Byrne was a fan. But, like, the cool, the yeah. reason why it's tough to compare this stuff to the stuff that came before it with, like, Stan and Jack, so those guys had no Avengers, Fantastic Four, X-Men to compare anything to because they were the guys that were laying the fucking groundwork, you know? Mm-hmm. So when this happens, it's easy for people to be like, derivative like it's so easy for people to immediately dismiss anything not even just ultimate x-men but stuff now it's why everybody's cynical is because everybody's been done before and it's like yeah 
But you're damned if you do and you're damned if right. you don't. They, mm-hmm. Like now they've pretty much gone in a completely different direction with the Ultimate Universe. They're not following anything anymore. Oh, man. It's, like, it's, no. it's a, it's a uh, mess. They, and that, that's a turnoff for me, but it's probably appealing to other people. Oh, no, man. I, dude, the current state of the Ultimate Universe is just awful. It's awful. And like, that's what got me into comics. And I, yeah. I don't enjoy it anymore. Like, Ultimatum happened. Ultimate X-Men started to kind of peter off before Ultimatum, but then when Ultimatum happened, the whole thing just started to suck. And then they did a, a reboot on titles after that, and they weren't good. Like, for some reason, everybody had to tell a vampire story. So one of the Avengers... Yes. And it sucks because Steve Dillon got stuck with the vampire arc in Ultimates yeah. for Ultimate Avengers. And that was just awful. But then they did another kind of relaunch, and Ultimate X-Men started to get really good again. Brian Wood's Ultimate X-Men stuff was awesome, but then Cataclysm had to happen, and... Yeah, I checked out by then. Dude, the Brian Wood Ultimate X-Men stuff felt like like Was that the stuff Ultimate where they were on the reservation? Yeah, where they had their own land. I just... Man, I as soon as you take the X-Men... And you kill Professor X, and you kill Cyclops, and you kill Wolverine, and you kill Magneto. He's taking the entire heart and soul out of that book. I don't. It, see, I just couldn't. I was like, okay, Storm, Kitty, all right, I, I guess. I, a bunch of characters I don't care about. There wasn't enough left to keep me around. I loved Ultimate X Men. Made me love Kitty Pride. I thought she was a great character, so it was cool to see her yeah. kind of take leadership. Yeah. Um, but the Ultimate Universe still always had a Wolverine because of Jeff Loeb. <laughs> we he had some son, and we find him, and he pops his claws, and so oh god! And someone said, "Wait, didn't your dad have metal claws?" And he goes, "Oh yeah," and thinks about it for a second, and then adamantium forms around his bone claws. <laughs> like how does that just happen? That was so lame. Like I was so excited to see an X Men book that didn't rely on Wolverine. And to be fair, the Ultimate mm. X Men stories. For a lot of times, Wolverine just came and went. Like, Vaughn actually wrote him out. He's not, Wolverine is not a member of this team during this arc. He left during the previous one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I was so excited to have an X-Men without Wolverine to see some of the other characters shine, and then we get this kid who's the same exact thing, same powers and everything, only blonde. Yeah. So well, it was a bummer. The upside was that Art Adams drew it. We're talking about the, what was that called? X. It was just called Ultimate X. Ultimate X, right. Yeah. Jean Grey came back. She was a, she had black hair. Black or something. hair. She was going by some other name because yeah. she was supposed to be dead. Yeah. And then we got to the whole, um, not, what did they call it? Utopia. Utopia. No. It got weird. It got weird, but I really liked was it. That... It was, it was Kitty versus Jean, man. That was wasn't awesome. Kirkman. No, no, that was, was Brian Hickman? Wood. That was Brian that Wood. That was Wood? Yeah. Hmm. Kitty had a lot of the X-Men out in Utopia where uh, they could just live their life and Tony Stark was trying to help them out when he could and then Gene Wait, Gray wait, wait. I'm with... thinking of the place with the with uh, Zorn. Oh, that was Tapan or something? I don't know what it was yeah, called. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. That's where Gene Gray was. But yeah, that... Editor's note, what I'm trying to come up with is the city of Tian, which is led by the brothers Zorn and Zorn, heads of the Celestials and Eternals. 
first appearing in Ultimate Hawkeye number three by Jonathan Hickman and Rafa Sandoval. That place was warring with Utopia because okay. they were trying to get Utopia and all the mutants there to come back. Right. Right. Weird. So weird. So different than the 616 but it, stuff. But it was really good. It was really good. Like I said, the Brian Wood stuff is the only stuff that made me feel like I was, like it was a good reunion tour. Yeah. It wasn't like Motley Crue where they have to tape McMars to a pole to keep him up or something like that. It was like they were all, <laughs> they all got into shape and they were ready to go and they came out and they gave it their all every night. So Brian Wood's stuff was really enjoyable for me. So, and I was really sad to see it go. I'm glad you liked it. Me too, because the Ultimate Universe was not that enjoyable for a long stretch of time. Oh man, that first miniseries that they did, Ultimate War, the X-Men vs. Avengers, which was drawn by Bichalo, was awesome. It was really good. All their event books were cool. Earlier they don't bring in top talent on art, and every single one of them was a hit. Oh man, I tweeted the other day that I was all annoyed because they just announced a sixth Guardian title and I was just like, oh my god. Oh, and then I had immediately had to eat my words because it's written by Bendis and drawn by Art Adams. <gasps> well, get rid of the other five. Keep that one. No, you don't have to eat your words, man, because six books for any one property is too much. Whoa, whoa. I could have six X-Men books. No. No. You don't need no. six X-Men books. It's true, I don't. But... You don't. Because you end up with bad ones. X-Force. Figure out how many good writer-artist pairs you have. Have that many books. Yeah. Right, like, I did the math at one point between Avengers and X-Men-related books, Counting Factor and Force and all that stuff. There were, like, 15 titles just from Avengers and X-Men, which is entirely too much, especially when Marvel's charging three ninety nine a book. Like, people can't keep up with all that stuff. You uh, know what I mean? I won't keep up with it. I won't do it. Like, it's just ridiculous. That's it's a bill. It's a house bill. It's your heating bill for the month. Just on comic books. I dropped I dropped X Force. Yeah. Can't fucking handle Simon Spurrier, man. <laughs> Not every X Men talks in a British accent. Like My favorite thing to read is when someone writes Gambit's Cajun accent and Rogue's Southern accent. Like instead of I, it's A H. <laughs> like it just cracks me up. You have to. It's tradition. Since the dawn of time, they've done that. You can't stop now. Now I want to go back and read the original, like, up to this point in Ultimate X-Men. You know, the funny thing is that that first arc, my one big, the big thing that stuck with me, besides Wolverine being the villain, was um, was the art, the quality of the art being super high. And um, I think... It's it's, yeah, it's not anyway. so hot, but it, and I, I think it's a product of its time. Like when I think of books around two thousand, like early two thousands, that's what I the style that I think of. You know, it, but the cool thing about the Ultimate books was they they brought in top talent to work on them. They limited the number of writers involved, and the books themselves were nice. Like they had really nice heavy cover stock and nice glossy paper. And it, it just everything looked good, and at the time I thought the art looked really good. But now, yeah. I think the art world has moved on from that look. Such a weird time period when I really like sit back and think about it, because like when this was coming out, like the hottest book on the planet was fucking Origin. Oh yeah, yeah. and 
fucking amazing Spider-Man 33 where they made Doctor Doom cry. Yeah. Over something that Doctor Doom's done a billion times. <laughs> Editor's note, it was Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 2, Number 36. Every... I, everybody complains about that, man, but we were, it was like a tragedy. No, no, And you no, can't I, have I, Doom standing there giving both barrels double fingers. But then don't Fuck put him you, in the America. Wall. Well, yeah. I have no idea what you guys are talking the, about. It was the, it the, was the, the 9-11. 9-11 Amazing oh. Spider-Man issue and Doom was crying and everything was like. It was sad. I understand. I understand people's gripes. Well, it's because Doom, Doom, Doom wouldn't do that though, because, uh, did you guys read Doom War? Sorry to get sidetracked. I read Doom War. Doom War blew my mind because he was trying to get into the Wakandan vaults, um, to get the vibranium. Vibranium, yeah. yeah. And, um, and the Panther God was like, and everyone's like, oh, it's from the animated G.I. Joe movie. You remember when they're like, Firstly, I have to get through some top train guards, and then three, uh, three feet of steel. Tunnel rat, motherfucker. Yeah, right. And like, they're saying all these things while they're showing the dreadnoks do it. And they're like, oh, don't worry about Doom. If he manages to get to the vault, the Panther God will check him and see if he, you know, has good intentions, and he'll ace him if he doesn't. So Doom, like, strips off his army, standing there butt-ass naked, and he's like, judge me. And the Panther God lets him in because he goes, you know what? Your heart is in the right place, but you just do it so wrong. And I was like, whoa. That's some heavy shit, man. I, I've, speaking of Doctor Doom, I read that. Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange. And? I, oh, it was amazing. Alright. It was amazing. Sean found his Doctor Doom story. I did. All you had to do was bring a dead mom into it. Ah. Uh, it's awesome, dude. Cool. You really gotta read it. Alright. Make me want to read it. I'm always down uh, for a good Doom story. They go through, they like go through this, all these sorcerers get, yeah. These sorcerers get called to figure out who's the Sorcerer Supreme. Fucking Strange wins out, but Doom comes in basically second place. And so when he's handing fucking Strange basically the rights to be Sorcerer Supreme, he's like, mm, the caveat is you have to do what the number two says for your first order of fucking business. And, uh, Doom's like, I want you to go to hell with me and win back my mother's soul. And, uh, or I'm ordering you to. And Do and Strange is like, bro, you could have just come to me and asked. And Doom was like, Doom does not beg. And I was like, Fucker went through that challenge just so he could get Strange to help him out with that. I was like, that's, and, and dude, the ending, like, fucking heartbreaking. Because the way that he just, like, Mephisto's like, yeah. Sure, you can, you won, your mom can come back to life, but it's mom. Like, when she's there, she's like, you traded, like, you made a deal with the devil. Like, there's no way that I'm going to do that. I can't believe you did this. I hate you. Whoa. And so, like, do knowing that, because then his mom is, like, immediately pulled into heaven. Mm -hmm. Because it was, like, the, the sacrifice of turning that down was, like, her act of retribution for the bad thing that she had done that got her there in the first place, which was just messing with dark magic to try to help her family. So she gets booted up to heaven. And then in the end, Strange is just like, you motherfucker. Like, you know that your mom hates you now. She thinks that you're evil, but you made the ultimate sacrifice so that she could get out of hell. And I was like, 
Go kill Richard's doom. You earned it. <laughs> right. <laughs> little, little side note. I know we're struggling on time here. You know those like Toon Tumblers pint glasses Diamond puts out of all the superheroes on them? Yeah. Those things are a piece of shit. They're, the, the designs come off super easy. Don't and put them in the dishwasher. I don't. I hand wash them. And, uh, they're fragile as hell. At one point I had, uh, like seven of them. They're all broken now. Except for Doctor Doom, he's of course. Um, he's Doom is the one left standing. It's the way it's gonna go. Well, God Such damn it, Mullins! Doom. You made me want to read Ultimate X Men. Do it. You oh. did the one thing. Well, there's many things that Pavel couldn't get me to do. One of them was to read Ultimate X Men. I'll I'll get in there with you. I'll reread it because now I want to go back and reread the whole thing. I gotta focus on New Mutants. So, yeah, before you go, uh, I just want to say thank you, because Thanks you mentioned me. how much you loved the art in this book, mm-hmm. and you graced us today with a piece of original art that's in your collection. Why don't you tell us about it as it sits here staring back at us? I, as I said, if I were, if my house were on fire, what would I grab? I would grab Ultimate X-Men, the stuff that Brian Kivon and Stuart Eminem did, which is not a lot of issues, but... The first issue they worked on together was issue 54, the beginning of the Most Dangerous Game arc. And I happened to uh, come across and purchase the original cover art for issue 54 by Stuart Eminem. Yes, you did. And it is sexy. I am a big fan of it. Looking good. Sean's sitting there holding it, grinning. Dude. I'm coveting it. Jerry is rock hard right now. (laughs) (laughs) I love me some original art, you guys. Only I could get my wife out of the way I don't at all. All of it. Alas. So. Thanks for having me. You got anything else you want to share? You feel satiated? Uh, I feel pretty good. feel pretty good. All right, man. Good job, guys. Thanks for... Convincing me to read this. I like any story that makes Longshot cool, which is all of them. Well, I'm glad. You fine gentlemen, enjoy the rest of your day. All right, so that was a good chat with Mike Mullins oh, there. Yeah, it was. Hell yeah. I think, though, Sean, it's time now to get real 616 on their ass with some new mutant talk. Aren't you forgetting something? God damn it. Baron Strucker, what are you doing in my basement? Why, we have to discuss the Baron Strucker challenge, of course. Did you think you could duck me forever? I was hoping. <laughs> I brought Adam Zola with me to ensure nine funny business. Say guten tag, Zola. Guten tag, Baron. Now, for those of you new to the podcast, Herr McDade has a hobby where he collects sketches of Marvel characters that comic book conventions, which he calls his jam pieces. (laughs) Now, much to my chagrin, and I'm sure yours, I was shocked to find out that he does not have a sketch of yours truly, Baron Strucker. This, of course, cannot stand. But instead of fixing the problem in my normal fashion, threatening the lives of his children, I chose to 
in a most democratic fashion, I might add, allow you, the listeners, to decide through the Twitter whether Jerry has to get a Strucker sketch or not. Now, long-time listeners already know the results, but for the sake of any new listeners, I shall announce the winner of the Strucker Sketch <laughs> Challenge. Drum roll, please. Well, was it me? It looks as though justice has prevailed, and Baron Strucker has defeated Baron Struck out <laughs> by the final vote of eleven to one. To put that in layman's terms, I defeated McBrown by a margin of eleven to one. Weren't you the one? I, I was the one. And judging by the anemic turnout for the vote of the century. I am guessing there were more important things occurring that week. It could not have been the midterm elections, for we know you did not show up for that, America. <laughs> the last time voter turnout was that low, I was kicking Captain America's arse up and down the Western Front. I don't know, perhaps someone released a t-shirt with an off-color remark who needed to be stomped into oblivion that week. Or maybe... Somebody dared say that Captain Marvel is not as good a leader as Captain America when required a severe tongue lashing. You know something truly important. Oh, America, can you be any more apathetic? Seriously, when Hydra finally makes its move for world domination, you will even, will you even put up a fight? Or will you merely roll over like a scolded dog? I suppose if we offered a free plug with each vote, we would probably have gotten a better turnout. Hmm, gentlemen? Yeah, that sounds great. Absolutely. Nine matter, it is all for the best, because when Hydra takes over, your right to vote will be rescinded anyway. You apparently will not miss it. Flemming Brown! Yeah. One vote! It was a good vote, Care to though. share with the listeners who cast that one vote for you? Uh... Uh, I think it was Jack Kirby. Wrong! It was you. Damn it. You could not have written it better! <laughs> Once again, the football is snatched away! <laughs> Did you honestly think you could defeat me? Me! The man who took on those paper tigers, the Carol Corps, and exposed them for the hypocrites they are. Bob, all like the Carol cowards! And like those cowards, I hear that you do not intend to honor your end of the bargain. The legions of Hydra find this most unsettling, and took to Twitter to let me know. Here are but a few of their responses. Oh, God. This first one comes from at Hydragoon264. <laughs> Herr Baron, this McBrown character is the epitome of a sore loser and ingrate. Say the word, and I will destroy him immediately. <laughs> Hashtag Hail Hydra. This next one is from at Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> Herr Baron, you are my sun and my moon. You are mine everything. You need not but ask, and I would carve your dashing countenance into mine flesh as an internal reminder of your greatness and magnificence. Jerry McBrown is a Cretan who obviously does not understand the great honor you have bestowed upon him. 
Please give me the privilege of taking the swine's life. That was more than 140 Well, that, that did seem longer than 140 <laughs> characters. But I suppose Twitter makes allowances when you speak the truth. Now this one from at misogynist Zola simply states, Jerry McBrown, fuck you. <laughs> Hashtag, no, really, fuck you. He does not mince words now, does he? No. These are are but a few of the many responses I received when news of your duplicity was made known. Which leads me to the question, when will I get satisfaction? Never! I do not understand. For in actuality, you are the true winner. For you have the privilege, the honor of getting a glorious sketch of your fearless leader, Baron Wolfgang von Strucker. I demand justice! Very well. When is the next comic book convention you will be attending? Uh... Spit it out! C2E2. There. That's where we will get it. Yes. And which artist do you think can capture my greatness best? I think the most appropriate choice for this would be probably my favorite artist, the artist and writer of Images, God Hates Astronauts, Mr. Ryan Brown. Who? You know, Ryan Brown, he, he writes and draws. Never heard of him. How about you, Herr Pigeon? What is your opinion? Uh, well, we did talk about Stuart Eminent. Yeah, yeah, Stuart Eminent would be boss. awesome. You're both wrong. I, for one, think the only appropriate artist would be Jack Kirby. Uh, that could be a problem, Baron. Jack Kirby's dead. What? Zola, is this true? Affirmative, Herr Baron. When did this occur? February 6, 1994. Mine, Baron. Did, did I kill him? Nine, Baron, but you should have. Did Stanley kill him? Nine, Baron. Mm, this is quite disappointing. Well, I hear there are many female artists in the industry now. Do you believe any of these Frauleins could do me justice, Zola? Does not compute, my Baron. <laughs> you are delightful. Well, anyway, these are questions we can discuss at another time, for I must be back to work, thinking of new ways to destroy America and its democratic liberal values. But before I go, I would be remiss if I did not say danke to the eleven brave souls who backed the right horse in this sketch challenge. You are the true heroes, and your place is assured in the Hydra of old order. As for those who could not be bothered to vote, or who were scared to take sides, I make nine such guarantees. There is nine Switzerland in the world of Hydra. Until next time! This is Baron Straka signing off. Hail Hydra! Sweet baby Jesus, that was crazy. That was awesome. Uh, alright, let's talk some new mutants. <laughs> Previously on X-Men. Previously on the New Mutants, the X-Men returned from space uh, where they were hanging with the Brood and the Star Jammers, and they find a New Mutants team that is being tormented by a Professor Xavier who is possessed 
by a brood worm thing, larvae. Larvae. <laughs> and, uh, and it was horrible, and Professor X tried to kill the new mutants, and they're still a little sensitive about that. How many times does Professor X use some lame-ass excuse for killing his students? Well, a lot. I lost track. Yeah. I probably should be keeping a tally, but I'm not. One of the things that I realized as I was uh, going through these New Mutants issues is that most of my Professor Xavier stuff in my head that I have made up is all from the cartoon. Right. Because it was barely in the X-Books. Yes. And then, it, so now I realize that, like, oh, he was taking care of these students that I never read about. So this is pretty exciting, because I'm like, oh, a whole new world of, of Professor Xavier. He gets creeped out when the Landra tries to play doctor, which I think is weird. He gets all like, whoa. I'm like, quit being such a prude, Charles. He's not whoa, he's just taken aback by it. That's all. Not in front of the children. Yeah. That's when it's best shot. Right. Oh my god. God, no. No. <laughs> that explains why Finn always wants to leave with me. Yeah, uh, poor little guy. So, this brings us to issue four of the New Mutants. Today we're going to be talking about issues four through six. Yes. X-Men. Issue um, number four has my favorite title. Of all time. It's called Jerry McDade's Life Story. <laughs> Who, who's scaring Stevie? <laughs> oh, yeah, when I got to that panel, man. <laughs> yeah, Sean tweeted a panel from this book uh, yesterday. I know. Okay, probably. Yeah. And uh, it's just uh, the villain of the story, which we'll get to, uh, who probably, well, really doesn't bear any resemblance at all to young Jerry, other than that he has red hair. Uh and I did have hair at one point. Bro, it wasn't the hair. It was, it was the, the, the hair creeper. mixed with the jungle fever. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, man. The braids don't do it. They didn't do it for Venus Williams. They're not doing it for Stevie. All right. Now you lose the braids. Whole different ball game. All right. Looking at you, Serena. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is the origin of Jerry's comic crush. It just bummed me comic out that it was crush. that it was Stevie and not Storm. Because I was like, man, if it had been Storm, this would have been perfect. I don't think Storm would have let the kids survive. No, probably not. She would have broke him in two. She would have. Then I wish it was me. Uh, huh, Getting back to this book here. So, issue four is a one-and-done story. Um... And it is basically about Stevie Hunter having a creepy stalker that's calling her on the phone all the time. And she's really irritated about it. Police won't do anything about it. And Karma decides that, by golly, the New Mutants are going to chip in and they're going to solve this mystery. So I guess in this story, uh, Rain is Scooby-Doo? I don't... Yeah. I guess. So they pile into the mystery machine... And they go about trying to figure out this story. And in the end, it ends up being one of Stevie's... Should we just cut right to the chase? It ends up being one of Stevie's dance students, who is an abused youngster. Turns out he got mad at Stevie because he really loved her, and he was she wasn't abusing him, which meant that she didn't love him back. 
It's some pretty heavy shit for me to immediately start out making jokes about it, just so everybody knows. Yeah, it is. This is like a very special issue of the New Mutants, and it's uh, it's sad because it's hilarious in that that the kid is so goofy and awkward. Like every nerdy teenager, I don't know anybody like that, uh, myself included. But before we get too far ahead at the end, I want to say that in the beginning of the issue. Cannibal destroys a tree on Xavier's property. Just gonna say that. Another tree dies at the hands of a mutant. Something needs to be done. Somebody needs to speak up and speak the truth about this mutant menace. True. I think Groot is our man. Probably. Who? (laughs) Who? Everybody's favorite. That's true. He's not a DC character, so I can actually act as though I know who he is. And Groot at least, predates all these MFers. That's true. Groot goes back to the the real roots of Marvel Comics. Anyway, yeah, I mean... There's, uh, it is a really good... The thing I like about this book is that it's inked by McCloud over Sal Buscema's layouts. So, and we talked about this uh, yesterday over the phone, just that um, what we're going to see... And this, we talked about this with Bob McCloud in his interview, is over the course of the next seven issues or so, we're going to see the importance of an inker on a book. When McCloud started, he did the pencils, and then an inker very carefully went over his lines. So it still looked like him. This issue is Sal Buscema breakdowns uh, with Bob McCloud inks over it. So Buscema kind of sets the stage... And then McCloud makes it look exactly the way he wants it to look. So again, you get a book that looks like Bob McCloud. The next issue starts off that way, but by the end of issue 5, somebody else is inking it, somebody uncredited. It doesn't look anything like McCloud. It probably looks more like Sal Buscema, but it doesn't really look like him either. It just looks kind of bad. And we'll see other issues like that, where uh, where you get a little bit of McCloud inks from issue to issue... Um, but the rest of it is not as great. With, with a few standout pages by Armando Gill that are pretty good. But um, for those of you who, again, who ask, what does an inker do? This early run of The New Mutants is a really great example of that. Okay, there. I'm done. Yeah. Art lesson over, says the guy who doesn't know anything about art. How to do it, anyway. Cheers to that, buddy. I'll tell you one of the things. Um, I, 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 you know, something that's kind of been bothering me while we've been reading these. Uh oh. Tell tell me. Tell it's everyone. Changing my perception of new comics. Yeah. Because I think about this, like the New Mutants, and I think about characters that were introduced even when I was like my new mutants were Generation X, right? Uh huh. And every single one of those students, like you could tell. There was a serious thought process that went into it, right? Creating mm-hmm. characters that could potentially last. And it's terrible what happened to the Generation X kids because they should have been given way more than they got. Right. Um, but, like, think about this team and then compare it to, like, mutants who have been created in the past ten years. Mm-hmm. All the Generation Hope kids, what do you know about them? Uh, that I don't see him in books anymore? Yep. 
Like Wolverine and the X-Men. All the students that were introduced in that fish boy or eye boy or the right. one that turns into a shark. Like, I, there just seemed, there was like a shift where it was like, we're not going to go for characters that could last. We're going to go for weirdness and whatever is, it just seems. Well, like, I can tell you what I think is the problem. And, and, and I, I mean, I don't know that it's a problem. It's, it's reality. It's what the state of the industry is right now. The benefit that the X-Men and the New Mutants had in the 80s is that Claremont wrote that book for like 20 years uninterrupted. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, he, he was given 50 issues to develop these characters. And now you're lucky if you're allowed to stay on a book for a year because of either sales pressure or because you're moving to the next hot thing. Like, it's the job of somebody, like with Brubaker, to set set up Iron Fist, let's say. Okay. You know, get Fraction, a young writer, give, get him his sea legs so that he's set up to write the story and then let him go. We've seen that with Nick Spencer, and um, he's co-writing a lot of the Spider-Man books now. Oh, Crystal's Gage. Yeah, but I mean, he's an experienced writer, so, yeah. so I, but I, you see him co-writing a lot of stuff, where somebody will plot it, and then he'll come in and finish it off. Um, I lost my point now, but, uh, so, so the time isn't given, and with a, a book of young kids like this, the sales usually aren't there for a book like that, so to bring a big name on, the sales can't support their page rate. All right, well, I'm going to tell so, you that sales can't support Fish Face and iBoy. Like, if you make shit characters, yep. no one's going to want to buy the book. Yep. I mean, the the quality of Wolverine and the X-Men from that first issue to where it ended in its 36-issue run and where it's at now that it's been rebooted, terrible. Yeah, it's not speaking to me either. I, <laughs> I mean... And it, sometimes a writer needs to find their voice. Like, Jason Aaron's got such a strong point of view that, um, when his, one of his best friends takes over the writing chores, it's gotta be a tough task to, to try to make it your own thing. And, but still have a sense of continuity. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's not working. It, it's not really working. So, I, I, just, don't, I, just, I don't know what the answer is. I know what, I can put my finger right on the problem. Yeah. The problem is that there isn't enough continuity um, in, in, in that kind of book. There's plenty of continuity in the, in the X-Men and Fantastic Four. I mean, you can see long runs on okay, those but, books. Okay, but here's the other thing. Like, the other day when you were talking about, you called me up and you were like, man, I went back and reread the beginning of all new X-Men and yeah. I love it. Uh-huh. Like, when I went back and reread Bendis' first arc of Uncanny X-Men, mm-hmm. like, I really, like, I think that that character, Hijack, could be one of the best X-Men we see if done correctly. Like, they're, you know, like, wh- whenever he, like, I don't want to, should we say spoilers for... But it's it's years old now, but yeah, if you're a couple years behind on your X-Men books and you want to catch up, Well, I mean, when, when, when Cyclops gets rid of that kid and then he comes back, mm-hmm. you know, and he, like, does his thing, 
that was like one of the first moments in probably the past year or two in an X-Men book where I've been like, that's the X-Men. Like, that's what I want to see. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And so I love those two books. I mean, granted, on a month-to-month basis, I have my slam my forehead against the desk kind <laughs> moments of like, come on. Yeah. But at the same this, time, like... Is, this is where it helps to have double shipping. When you've yes. got decompressed storytelling, you need to be fed that more often. But than- there hasn't been anything in those runs that I've been like, oh my god. You know, and it's like, I... So I should correct that and say that, like, I'm not a huge fan of, like, the throwaway characters that I felt were introduced... You know, in Wolverine and the X-Men, but the Uncanny X-Men characters, I think, have been great. I would have Tempest. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what happened to her when she went into the future and came back with longer hair. But there's other yeah. characters like you mentioned. I love her. Yeah. You mentioned... <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's comic crush. Yeah. You want to talk about my comic crush? It's a character that was created by Christos Gage. Brew. Yeah? I loved Brew. Brew was created by Christos Gage. I think so. It was in the. It was in the. Um, I, th- I want to say that he was. It was in the. You know when like Whedon and Cassidy left Astonishing. Uh huh. And then it was like taken over by Warren Ellis, and it was. Yeah. Terrible. Ghost boxes. There was like after Ellis left, there was like an interim period, and I think that's when I. Th- I want to say it was Astonishing X Men huh. where Brew was initially introduced. Yeah. Editor's note, it was indeed Astonishing X-Men number 40. X-Men. They had like a brood adventure. Yeah. And he was, uh, that's what I miss, adventures. Yeah, adventures. They still have them. They do. It's just, uh, the problem is, the other problem is that there are too many titles. So yeah. it waters it down. And the flip side of that is that there are so many characters that you want to see in stories and the only way to do that is to have all these titles. Because the X family is so big. Yeah. You know, there's, you could have a, five quality groups or more, but the writing talent really isn't there to make them all top tier books. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, I even, I mean, I thought a couple of the Generation Hope kids were good, but it just had that real, like. I liked that book, but it, it had the feel of something that was going to peter out, and it did quickly yeah it had i i liked the little akira story that went on with um right the the one akira dude yeah <laughs> but then like, that was even, cool even like the amount of hype that was put into hope of like she's gonna be the greatest thing that's ever happened to the x-men yeah and now she's a floating fucking database head in x-force which i dropped yeah i didn't even know that some simon spurrier uh yeah I gave up on X-Force because it just wasn't... Neither X-Force title before the relaunch was good, and, and then the next one, the Sam Humphreys one, wasn't good. And, whoa. Or that, not the next one, but that... Let's pump the brakes here. You mean everything since Uncanny X-Force has been bad, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, sorry. I don't mean to say that... Um, the Dark Angel Saga is a modern classic. Well, yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Right. I'm not talking about the Remender stuff. Okay. I meant I meant Uncanny X-Force with Humphreys, and I meant uh, Cable and the X-Force, yes. which I really liked in the beginning. I did, too. I really wanted that to be something, because yeah. it had like an A-Team 80s action movie vibe. Yes. It could have been great. It could have been great. 
I think you know what I think the art didn't help that thing either yes. like it started it got real manga a couple yes. issues in yep like it started off with like Salvador La Roca who I like uh-huh and and, then, and I thought the stuff he was doing on there was a lot more inspired than what he'd been doing on Iron Man yeah so I dug that me too you remember when this was going to be a New Mutants talk? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we're, we're no, talk- this is good. I we're mean, talking about New Mutants. Yeah. Just not the New Mutants book yet. Right. Yeah. Well, again, we'll get um, back there. So I, I like, what do you think is how, if you're, okay, let's say you're Nick Lowe or whoever Nick Lowe, Mike Martz. Let's say you're Mike Martz, editor of the X-Men books, and and people are saying... We're, we need a new mutants that something that'll stick, something that'll be good. Something. Well, I mean, I guess I answered my what? own question there. It is the kids that Bendis is bringing up, so maybe right. I just, I probably just feel like I'm going to be old man Sean and be like, a couple of the books should get cut. Yes, they should. Like I, I honestly, but as long as the sales are there I to know. support them, I think. I, I mean, they're probably not hurting anybody by being out there as no, long as they don't know, do anything but, crazy. But I mean, it's like. But uh, there's a I, they're not hurting anything by being out there, but it is a little bit. Like, uh, they're. I don't know how to say it. It's like they're offending your sensibilities <laughs> because like, they're not. It's like because I, the X Men demand a certain level of quality. I believe that that X Men is some sweeping epic. Okay, uh-huh. it's your Lord of the Rings. It's it's our Star Wars. It's all that type of of thing, right? Yeah. It's this universe that exists and it's great. And it's fantastic. And 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 sometimes when there's a book like Spider Man and the X Men out there, it might be the Star Wars Christmas special, where you're like, fuck, like I get Does it. Does that come out I'm, yet? No, I don't know. no. Okay. But you know what I'm saying? Like there's a, like maybe Cyclops is in too many damn books. Yeah. And since everyone seems to want to play with the same five X-Men in the sandbox, mm-hmm. we're not getting the ability to have, like, you know, yeah, other characters shine. Right. Yeah. So, huh. But I, I take I mean, he back. does he does serve that function of the boogeyman very well in the other books. Whenever he shows up, it's like, oh... Crap, there's Cyclops. True. But um, but that's all it should be to me. Like, then get him out of there again. Let Bendis write the dude. Right. Although in the, the most recent issue of they 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 t- talked to Cyclops, so I got to see a Hickman version of Cyclops. Oh, you've got a look on your face like you... That's I just got into a panic mode because with uh, the long game that Hickman plays and the fact that... Listen, everybody... I like to think of myself as a smart guy. Not the most intelligent man in the room, <laughs> but Hickman's st- stuff has definitely been confusing the shit out of me lately. I was able to follow along Fantastic Four, Secret Warriors, that was all fine, but man, Builders and x Nihilos and Abysses and Starbrands and Nightmasks yeah. and Who's-its and What's-its and <laughs> Flim Flams. Now, you, well, you got to go out and buy your new universe books and and learn who all those people are. Wait, what? <laughs> no, it wouldn't help you anyway. Okay. So yeah, I'm sorry. I I would just like to say that there are new mutants out there that are a little, but it's the one that's get gets thought put into them. That I think the Bendis kids will be future yeah. leaders. I I honestly like it, it is Tempest, right? I'm not. 
Fucking I don't know what okay, Evie. I don't know what her okay, code name Eva. is. Eva. Is yeah, it Eva? I think it's Eva. Whatever it is. I just that, read it. That, what is wrong dude, with but me? But that's the problem. That's part of my problem. Is I don't know if it's me being fucking stupid not remembering their names from issue to issue. Maybe because I'm reading too much. But I mean, I could sit here and be like Angelo Espinosa, you know, Jonathan Stars. Well, that's because he says his name fifteen times in the first that's, book. That's true. They really wanted to either he owed somebody a favor <laughs> named Angelo, or he really wanted that name to stick in people's heads. Because yeah, he said that like fifteen times. But I think those two, the two that we mentioned, Hijack, and, and I think those two have the most potential. Out of all of the new um, Bendis students, yeah, to uh, be the, the cannonballs of that group, if you will. Uh huh. Um, I really like Morph too, but just because it's a nod to the cartoon—at least to <laughs> me, it's a nod to the yeah. cartoon—and I thought that. Anyways, we're getting sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I think we'll get back on track. Good. I'm sorry. It's just when we start talking about the New Mutants, it gets me thinking about the fact that, like, this had to be great to have this really diverse cast at a young age, you know, and I and I realized that I had it with Generation X. And, I mean, I'm sure someone is super connected to Kyle and your New X-Men kids, which I yeah. am too, and I'm excited about when we get there because there's some stuff that with them that I'm really excited about. But I just don't feel like there's been the support from the company. Yeah. To push those characters to, like, the forefront, especially not now, that everybody's, like, got their doomsday prophecies and picket signs out there thinking that the X-Men are going down. Right. So that's all. So when I see a one-and-done issue done, like New Mutants number four, where it shows them uh, dealing with things that, that, that young people actually have to deal with, mm-hmm. it makes me crave a certain style of book to be there for I like I get that it might not be for me yeah I I understand that I might not connect with the generation hope kids because they're not jubilee and m and skin like they were when I, or you won't because it's not wolf spain and so on and so forth. but I just I wish it was there I wish the market allowed for it to be there mhm you know yeah well I I'm sure that there are enough people like you to to warrant putting out a book like this to try and and see you know see if it sticks and sales will be high enough to to keep it limping along for six or or ten issues before it's mercifully put down (laughs) but um in the meantime we'll always have new mutants number four that's true and uh so I find yeah, it man. interesting that this was that number four was the like at home or after school special esque episode because Generation X number four was also the it's the Christmas episode we talked about in last year's yeah. Christmas uh special. Yeah. Where they, they dealt with the kid they thought was a mutant. Uh huh. Oh, that was a bummer. Yep. How is that a Christmas issue? Took place at Christmas. I know. Sure didn't feel very Christmassy. It didn't. Um, we had a bunch of people download that one today. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I guess because you talked about it. Hey. 
It's a good episode. It's a great episode. I love that one. Everybody should go back and listen to that one. Hopefully this one, this year's will be even better. And then after this year, I'm going to feel some serious pressure because I won't know what to do next yeah. year. <laughs> we were so damn excited about last year's Christmas special that we talked, I believe, about every Christmas issue possible. So yeah. we really there are still it. a few out there probably that we haven't touched on. Maybe we could do a cloak and dagger Christmas issue. There's a, I have an issue where Wolverine teaches the kids hockey. Mm. It's like in one of those holiday specials. All right. So I was happy about Logan being a hockey fan. Makes sense. It's from Canada. Just because he's from Canada, he's got to be a hockey fan. And the fact that it was recently revealed that John Byrne based him off of Dr. Hook from the 70s classic Slapshot. (laughs) (laughs) So great. And not even really revealed recently, just revealed to us. Yes. It's an old interview, I'm sure. I guess it's been it's been on Doctor Hook's website for some time. Ah. I hear he got pretty pumped up about it when he heard that. Hell Brandon, yeah, man! Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pays to be Canadian. Yep, I guess. So I don't know. Do we, what what do we want to say about this issue? About issue number four? Yeah. That I think it's. A, I mean, I find it to be. If, if listen. One of the things that I hear from, some, you know, everybody talks about the softball issue or the baseball issues, you know, the X-Men playing softball, all that type of stuff. Yeah. The other, the thing that, that, that I always, the thing that drew me to the X-Men over every other comic book out there is the quiet moments. Uh-huh. And I, and issues like this really hit home where it's like they're not dealing with some supervillain. They're dealing with something that they can't even stop. Like, think about the damage done to this poor kid. Yeah. Like, to think that love is getting his ass fucking handed it to him by some... Like, that's messed up. And that's got to, like, speak to some kid more than, you know, abysses building planets and builders just whatever the fuck is going on in... (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I think if you're going to take anything from this issue, it's the fact that, like, it's it's given these quiet moments are what's building the relationship between mm-hmm. these characters. It's not going to be their fights with Broods or yeah. Madame Hydra and Silver Samurai or Viper or whatever that's going to bring them together. It's going to be these quiet moments where they realize, like, hey, this, you know. It, the one thing that struck me after I finished reading these three issues together, and I'll just say it now while I'm thinking of it instead of at the end, is is um, we had the first three, you know, that kind of told some interesting stories. They involved Sentinels and Brood, which were straight out of the X-Men books. Um, good opportunities for action and some creepy stuff in that third issue. Yeah. But then to shift gears to this, and then the next two issues, which... We could go right into now, but they feature probably the worst cameo in the history of Marvel Comics. <laughs> so, so a, a more downbeat fourth issue, and then a potentially disastrous fifth and sixth issue, based on on this cameo. X-Men. This, I feel like this book was in serious peril right out of the gate. But then again, it's the 80s. People probably hate this shit up. Maybe. I mean... I know one person who loved it. Andy Samberg's character in Hot Rod. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I think what Sean is getting at, and we'll let the cat out of the bag for you young listeners that haven't read these issues, is uh, there's a special guest appearance by Team America. And no, not the one you're probably thinking of. This is a group of motorcycle enthusiasts and stuntmen straight out of the 70s, the Evil Knievel era. And they they work their way into an X-Men book. So amazing. Apparently, here's a little backstory on these guys. I don't even remember all their names. There's a guy named Are You Ready? (laughs) Holy shit, I love that one. There's a guy named Wrench or Clutch or something like that. The idea, the where these came from is there was a Mattel or somebody had a toy deal with Evil Knievel and Evil was up to some shenanigans, got in trouble with the law and uh, they stopped making Evil Knievel toys, but they wanted to still sell toys with motorcycles because that was hot. So they used the same molds and repackaged them as Team America with all these new characters. Just painted differently. And then uh, Marvel jumped at the opportunity to make comics. This type of stuff just kills me. Some fucking fat bastard is sitting in some (laughs) skyscraper, chomping on a cigar, right? He's he's harassing some female secretary. I just made a big mistake by assuming that the secretary was female. (laughs) Send your letters to Redford, Michigan. (laughs) And he's sitting there and he's like, you know what? I still want to make some dough off of those damn Evil Knievel toys. You know what we do? We just mass produce them, make one of them Spanish. Yes. El Lobo. What was that? What's his name? Oh, wait, he was... The Wolf, right? Isn't he? Yeah, The Wolf. I couldn't... Cowboy, are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? And he's red-headed. Ready. Yeah, and ready is spelled R E D D Y. Yeah. Are you ready? Oh my god. And it was fucking jammed down your throat, right? It was. And kids just ate it up. Like every time I'm around a little kid and I see some, like it's fascinating to me to like watch kids react to commercials. Kids love commercials. Oh my god, dude. My kids love commercials. Oh they want to like, buy everything every, on a commercial. It fucking freaks Because I like, what's weird is I wasn't that kid. Like, I was solely interested. Of course you were. I, I'm not, I just I was. I probably got it beat out of me. That's probably yes. what happened. <laughs> Satan's in those commercials. Exactly. Yeah. You will like your biblical toys, Sean. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't <laughs> actually have, I didn't have biblical toys. No, of course not. I had a comic book Bible, though. Nice. I remember those. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways. Gross. Sorry. What? 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 Bibles? No. Did you call Bibles? Gross? No, of course not. Oh, Jerry. I'm sorry. What? Are you ready? Are you ready? <laughs> so, I guess first these guys showed up in a Captain America issue written by... Just for clarity, Matisse or something when like that. Jerry and I were discussing this via text messages the other night, um, he, I can't even remember how you worded it, but you were like, he, Jerry made me believe that they were real people. 
<laughs> and I thought that these were like actual. Oh, people I just from said the worst 80s. cameo ever. Right. It was, yeah, but I thought because of it being a cameo, I was like, oh, oh. so they must be like. So I imagined that. They and were, then you made me think they were real, and I was like, holy shit, <laughs> yeah. these are real. <laughs> it was a very awkward <laughs> conversation because the second you were like, yeah, it's a really weird cameo. I was like, who the fuck are these guys? Where did they come from? Were they on an episode of Magnum PI? The only real one I know about is they. No, but they do solve the Stevie Hunter case using a trick that Magnum P.I. used on the oh episode they had just Sunspot watched. Sunspot fucking loves Magnum P.I. He does love Magnum P.I. Why didn't he ever grow a giant bushy mustache? He probably has one. I'll bet he has one now. No. He's just hiding it. Yeah. Because every time he used his power, it would burn up. Yeah, that probably Not happened. his hair, though, on his head. Nope. Just his mustache. Just the stash. Poor guy. So, the so these guys book. showed up on Captain America and maybe some other books. I can't remember. But then they... We talked about them way too much already. They got their own book for like a year. Dude. It lasted a year. It's our job to get to the bottom of how this happened. Why, Why it was did this happen? <laughs> and every person who was involved with it needs to be fired. Yes. Well, I'm sure that happened. But this was, this was Jim Shooter, man. He was looking for ways to grow... The Marvel brand, and uh, this was a nice cross-promotional opportunity. So they tried it. It didn't work. The book flamed out, but then here they are again. You Poor know what, Chris though? Claremont. You know what? Stuck with Team America. And not only is he stuck with them, he has to do something with them, and you know what he did. Kudos to Jim Shooter for coming up with throwing Team America in here instead of being like, you know what we need? Another Guardians book. <laughs> <laughs> At least he was throwing all different sorts of shit at the wall to see if it stuck. Instead yeah. of immediately going to the same well every oh. fucking time. You know who needs a book? The Broker. Remember that character? He was in ten minutes of the film? Yeah. That guy needs a book. He needs a book. Yeah. yeah. That'd be great. Um, The alien who was played by Nathan Fillion in the movie. The one that Groot did the nose thing to. Yeah. Book. Book. That what happened book. to that guy? Let's get our top talent off of some of these X-Men books, since their movies aren't making us any money. And let's get some really good artists and writers on that book. Art Adams should fucking draw that book. Uh, Which one is he doing? The Guardians team-up book. With Bendis, so okay. I'm sure it's going to be good. <sighs> Why anyway, isn't he on an X-Men book? I know. Team America. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Alright, so, God, Sean, how much do we want to say about this? We don't want to say much. For some odd reason, like, when they're, what is it, like, when they're stressed out or freaked out or they need a hero, suddenly the Knight Rider appears? <laughs> the Dark the Rider. Dark Rider. <laughs> Not Knight Rider. If Knight Rider appeared, this book would have had a chance. Oh my god, it would be so awesome. <laughs> David Hasselhoff. <laughs> Oh, so good. Eating a cheeseburger in the driver's seat. <laughs> this is a mess. Did Night Rider ever drive itself? I never saw the show. Hell yeah. Okay. What? <laughs> Sorry, man. Well, that's really not that good. But I, I if got, you were six. Listen. Oh. I got caught up in the A-Team and Airwolf. That was... This. How did you miss Night Rider? I don't know. Dude, they're, they're like the, the triumvirate of greatness. Everybody, we're going to start a letter campaign to my older brothers to tell them how big of jerks they were, because clearly there's huge gaps in my knowledge yes. of 80s culture. Yeah. 
Knight Rider being one of them. So, Hoff's in the passenger seat eating a cheeseburger. Yes. And then he pops up now. Alright, so, here's the story. These guys fortuitously show up, uh, fortuitously for Madame Hydra and the Silver Samurai. Because they blackmail Team America into trying to steal some crystal with some ability. I can't even remember what the crystal is. I read this yesterday and I'm like, all I know is that these wacky fucking motorcycle guys are around here. So, so they, they kidnap Psyche, Danny Moonstar, and, and use her as leverage to force Team America to try to steal this thing. Team America teams up with Professor X and the New Mutants and they split up. Team America goes to try to recover the crystal like they're supposed to, but they're doing it for Professor X instead of for Madame Hydra. New Mutants go to try to free Danny. And in the end, they do recover the crystal. And I don't know what the importance of that is. But, but, uh, and the New Mutants free Danny after fighting the Silver Samurai. But then their base, uh, they're, they're, she's held hostage in Madame Hydra's, or, or Viper, or whatever you want to call her, in, in her, her villa on the Pacific Ocean. She and Silver Samurai make their escape. Big Sur. Big Sur, right. And as they're driving off in their yacht, Silver Samurai hits the big red button and the whole place goes boom with the new mutants inside of it. And Professor X's um, telepathic link with the new mutants is severed and he's horrified because something terrible has happened. That's how the issue ends. And the, yes. the next issue... Oh, but not before several times Karma being mysteriously visited by some disembodied voice... It's telling her it's coming for her and it's going to take control of her body and soul. And we never do find out who that voice is because by the beginning of issue 7, which we're not going to cover in detail in this episode, it's revealed that karma has perished in the explosion. What? No body was found. Spoilers, Jerry. I haven't read that. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry. You know I'm doing this as we go. No, are you serious? Yeah, I've never read issue number seven. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, you just spoiled it for me, you big dumb baby. (laughs) It's alright. Dang. It is possible to spoil a 30 year old comic. I thought you were reading ahead. You told me you read ahead on some No, I, I, ah. I, I want to, but then I can't, I read these yesterday. I can't even remember them. Well, that's why I asked McLeod in the interview if it was karma that they had always planned on killing, because they did. Oh. She comes back, big fat karma. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Spoilers, I haven't read that far. <laughs> <laughs> big fat karma. Oh, man. So You know, as much as we might be like, oh, these issues aren't that great, Team America, har, har, har. They're, they're a laugh, though. I, and, like, I'm... There's an element of, like... I, I feel like I sound like such an old man, but there's an element of fun to it, where, like, I yeah. look back at that, and, like, you're immediately transported to your youth, where I would have been like... If I had seen this, I totally would have bought some Team America toys. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like I mentioned before, part of the shooter era... You know, Secret Wars was the exact same yeah. thing. Trying to push toy sales. 
and um, people make fun of Secret Wars, especially the second one. And I was probably, I don't know, maybe 12 when the second one came out. Um, I didn't love it, but I still enjoyed it as a 12-year-old. And Secret Wars to a 10-year-old oh, yeah. was the best comic ever. Ever. Mike Zack art is just nothing but fighting. It was awesome, man. I still have the, the Doctor Doom toy from Secret Wars in my comic book room with the the chest plate thingy. Yeah. That Mike Zack cover to issue 11, Doctor Doom, from when he's fighting the Beyonder, is one of my favorite covers yeah. of all time. I've never read Secret Wars, so I'm excited for when we get You're going to buy the box set? I saw that. It looks really cool, but I, I, I'm sure the price tag is outrageous. It's probably a nightmare. <laughs> but, it looks but, cool. Uh, you should read, you, well, you're gonna read Secret Wars. I mean, I, I own We're good, the we have single to talk issues about and I own one of the, yeah, it's all part of the reread, man. Yeah, the X-Men go to Secret Wars? They do. Almost all of them. So there's like an element of that type of fun that I think I, is like one of the things where I miss. Like, I know it sounds silly, but like, sometimes when I'm reading, Especially, like, everything just seems dour right now. Yeah. Heroes fighting hero. Like, I'm just over that. Like, it's even, you know, today they announced that Apocalypse was cast for the next X-Men film. And I got excited because finally there's going to be an X-Men movie that isn't Magneto. You mm-hmm. know? And it's like, I just feel like comics right now are stuck. They're not, I mean, they're good. Like, they're good. The quality is good. Stories are good, but there's, like, missing this element of, like, levity to parts of it. Mm-hmm. You know? Even, like, one of the books that I love is, like, Dan Slott's Spider-Man. And I'm just, like, enough killing. Like, I get it. That's the whole thing. The Moreland family is running around killing all the spiders. Yeah. But, like, enough's enough, dude. Like, sometimes I want the good guy, like... I'm clearly a person who always wants the good guys to win. Yeah. That's why I only root for the Red Wings and Baron Von Strucker. <laughs> we should talk about your idea of good guys. <laughs> Darth Vader just wanted to rule his empire. Leave him alone. Yeah, just let him do it. That shark needed to fucking eat people, and those assholes on the boat had to go and blow it up? Ridiculous. So, yeah. I am enjoying the New Mutants. I wish that, um... You know, if people weren't going to leave us iTunes reviews, you should PayPal us some money so that me and Jerry can quit our job <laughs> and just read comics 24-7. Yeah. That way we'd move a little faster for your enjoyment. That's right. We'd have more time to do this. And it's, it's not going to happen. But. No. No, they can send us money. Though. <laughs> we'll tell you where. <laughs> it's going to be it's my legal... Christmas. It's going to pay for my uh, legal fees for that secretary joke. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. There was I. I feel like I'm leaving something out. I know I'm leaving something out. What you're leaving out is that even though we might have uh, brought levity to the subject of New Mutants five and six, they actually were fun issues. I like Silver Samurai. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, we should talk about this. The reason it was important to talk about these issues now is because Silver Samurai is P.O.'d because his father has died and um, he is left without an inheritance 
His father is, of course, something something Harada. <laughs> also, also the father of Lady Mariko. Editor's note: God damn it, Jerry! The guy's name is Shingen Yoshida. Get it right. This is where the one in one of our first episodes we discussed how I get confused by the whole Lady Deathstrike Mariko because somehow yeah Sunfire's involved in all of this mix too, isn't he? He's their cousin, yeah. right? Yeah. Shiro. That's all I remember. I'm hoping that it's, like I got to make a family tree for Clan Yashida. Because yeah. once you throw, what did I didn't this? say Yoshida. What did I say? Harada. Harada. That's not right. We better get this straight because this is leading directly into Google that shit. Wolverine miniseries by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. I think you guys have heard of that. So I enjoyed these issues, even though I mean they're silly. Like I got yeah. room in my life for camp. I love me some. Oh, there's another appearance by uh, Karma's evil uncle that we first saw in Marvel yep. Team Up 100. Um, and she agrees to work for him. Yes. Uh, but that never ends up happening. Because of the spoiler, Jerry, just dropped Because of me. the spoiler, right. So there you go. I just... I want to know why at this point Professor X has some use of his legs... Painful though it may be, but he still wraps that silly blanket around him. And did you pick up on that? Maybe he's like me, man. I he am just cold gets cold all the time. You I've are. got the circulation of a ninety-year-old grandmother. Why's it got to be a grandmother? Because uh, I'm clearly sexist. I hate secretaries and grandmothers. You do. You do. I do. Oh, and this one kid in my neighborhood. Yeah, but he's a boy, kid. but I'm not a fan of him. <laughs> I guess that's it. Yeah. I liked him. I liked him too. I give these a solid... Go ahead and read it. Yeah. They'd be in your dollar bin, right? Yes. Pay a dollar for these and read them. Yes. If, totally you're, if you've it. got some 80s nostalgia. There isn't anything particularly 80s about them, per se. But they go to a school dance. The school dance they talk about in issue two. Yeah. They go to that dance. Back the fuck up. You just said there's nothing 80s about these, but there's three dudes on dirt bikes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Suits and are that. you ready? Are you, other than that, other than that, there are no CB references. Uh, they solve the mystery of who's scaring Stevie by using Magnum PI tactics. Oh, my bad. It's all 80s Listen, references. Yes. You I don't know. find yourself the soundtrack to the wedding singer. You crank that son of a bitch while you read these three issues. You uh, chomp down on some big league chew. Maybe uh, ask somebody where's the beef. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to come up with as many. That's eighty four, but we're almost there. All right. Um, crank Springsteen's born in the USA. Yeah. Tell everybody that Reagan was the greatest president ever. Yes. Um, watch Back to the Future. Uh, jerk it to adventures in babysitting. <gasps> yeah. Sorry. Too late. That's way too late. Oh, uh, it is? Okay. Yeah. Alright. I loved Mannequin. I loved that movie when I was a kid. I don't know that I ever saw it. And I think it's because the uh, it's the Jefferson Starship song, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. I remember that being played fucking everywhere when I was huh. a kid. 
Was Maybe. she in that? No, I don't know. But eighties movies, they all. Because you know. that would have been my my uh, you know. That would have been the earliest stages of me forming my opinion of girls. So clearly I liked girls that would turn into not talking mannequins after I was done. Right. I blame the movies, Jerry. 80s movies were all about guys who couldn't get girls being able to make a girl out of something that was not a girl. Fucking A. That's why they were awesome. It gave me hope. So, I guess that's it for this installment of Great Expectations Podcast. Um, we will see you in two weeks, where we will be discussing the Wolverine miniseries. Yeah! And two of my very favorite X-Men issues ever. The conclusion to the Wolverine miniseries and Uncanny X-Men by Chris Claremont and Paul Smith. If you have any issues with today's podcast, please tweet at Anti Drummer with your complaints. <laughs> That's all for the GX Pod. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Goodbye. America, America. This episode has been brought to you by Cry for the Moon Productions. Cry for the Moon!